love-hate relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. I'm Alex Ruiz, and as ever, we are here to brighten your days, anchor your souls, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. And Andy. Yeah. So before we started recording, <laughs> you showed me a picture of a circus performer getting lightly mauled by a bear. I don't know if it was lightly. There's a gif going around Twitter of a circus performer doing a stunt with a bear and the bear turns on him and the clip ends. There's like another person runs off camera and starts trying to kick the bear. And I have no idea what happens to the Molly. I, I like, so I feel like when you say mauled by a bear, there's this idea that it's like some fucking remnant shit where there's just guts spilling out or something. You see this, like, you see no blood from the angle here. You just see the bear kind of, like, bite down on the guy's shoulder and then take him down to the ground. And then you just see kind of the bear's ass as this dude is on the ground and another dude comes up and kicks the bear. And then, like, people in the audience get up to leave. Right, but crucially, like, somebody comes up and kicks the bear and the bear doesn't give a shit. Whatever yeah. it is it's biting a bear. on. Whatever it is biting on, it is just chomping down. You read Animorphs. Bear hide is incredibly dense. Indeed. Um, so this got a conversation going where, like, do you want to explain the the initial video that happened? Yeah, so, like, a, a week or two ago, I sent Alex something on Twitter that that stumbled across my timeline that I thought was amazing of somebody fucking around and finding out. And it's a guy standing on top of a gigantic drone and he looks like he's on the fucking goblin glider mm -hmm. and he's on a drone and he tries to shoot a basketball and the basketball bounces off the back end hits one of the propellers and then the drone crashes and again like you don't see necessarily anything gory or graphic but absolutely this dude is strapped to a drone as it falls it probably horribly fucked up his hip ligaments at the very least yeah like he fought like it's the kind of thing where um any of you who've ever like climbed trees as a, as a kid or something and you fell at the wrong angle like this dude isn't going to be, like, in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. But, like, it is very possible that he strained, if not shattered, maybe a pelvic bone, probably fucked up a femur. Like, he's going to be walking funny for a few weeks. And I liked, retweeted, and then shared this with somebody. And Twitter went, oh, you like this. And in fairness to Twitter... I went, I absolutely do. I love idiots fucking around and finding out. And so the, the thing that we wanted to talk about here, as we've taken like three minutes for setup, is... So for me, it's not that I dislike those kinds of videos. It is, however, that there is a sweet spot mm. for just like... Like, okay, I think we've all seen like the video where there's someone who maybe they're like really drunk or maybe like they open up one of those cans with the springy snakes or something and they yeah. just kind of fall backwards sure and they're on their feet and they just fall a little and it's not that big a deal like that's not terribly entertaining i think that's a little cheap and a little lame then there's someone getting mauled by a bear <laughs> Sure. Or, like, I've seen shit on TikTok where people are, like, playing baseball and, like, 
hit a ball with the bat and the bat hit somebody in the head. Right. And it's like that could fucking kill a person. Sure, like, sure. That's, that's too much. But there is this sweet spot, this really nice sweet spot where of people who like just get hurt in ways that very likely hurt them. Like they're going to have a bad day, maybe a bad couple of days, mm. but it's not so it's not so light that it's just like, oh, okay, you fell. Who cares? And it's not so horrifying that you're like, oh, my God, you should go to the emergency room. Right. A very common version of this that I get are gym fails. Sure. So I, I'm on a bunch of fitness Instagram pages and TikToks. And so I'll, re I'll sometimes see things with people like – it's gruesome to me if someone is benching and like they're benching with a thumbless grip, which is stupid. Go back to our bench pressing episode for that. Indeed. And the bar falls down on their face. Yeah, no, that I do not care for. That is gruesome. But I saw one the other day that I sent around to people where there was um, a young uh, a young woman who was um, doing jumps onto a box. So she would jump up and step down and jump up and she did a jump and for whatever reason only her toes hit the box. Mm. So she fell and then she hit the corner of the box right where her legs meet is how I'm gently going to put that. Ah. And she felt she falls over and it's like ow. That clearly hurt. I don't think she's going to need to go to the hospital, but that was fucking funny. Sure. Okay. I think there's so I, I think we have different takes on this because you're saying there is a a sweet spot in the level of violence. Where I fall on it is I think there is a sweet spot in the level of personal culpability to the situation. Interesting. Okay. Like I I don't necessarily enjoy accidental carnage for lack of a better word like to go back to weightlifting as an example like i know there's like a famous clip of somebody doing a deadlift and like their elbow goes the wrong way mm -hmm. that i uh, that, no <laughs> that is not good for me <laughs> that is purely like this was not supposed to happen this was an accident who could have foreseen this dipshit on a homemade goblin glider mm -hmm. everyone could have foreseen this you were very stupid to get on top of a giant drone and pretend you could fly around on it so for you it's more of a jackass kind of thing yes absolutely because i like i'm not like a huge jackass fan but i've got time for jackass oh and like so the the thing with the circus bear like, okay, did the person expect the bear to do the trick like the bear was supposed to and not maul him? Yes, probably. But we've got like 30 years of people basically protesting and proving that this is incredibly inhumane to have animals take place in circus performances. And especially a goddamn bear. Like, after Siegfried and Roy got mauled, Everyone should have went, well, okay, you can't have, you can't be doing a trick with an animal that can put your head in its mouth. And we should have just done away with the whole thing. So at that point, not only the performer, but everybody on the circus should have been sitting there going like, one of these days that bear's going to fucking maul somebody. And that is what allows me to laugh at that. <laughs> 
So, okay, yeah, I, I, I think it's just a difference in our approaches. Because sure. you know what, I, I do enjoy a little bit the person who is clearly just like fucking around in a very, very ridiculous, dumb way. Yeah. And that not working out for them. But there is a point where, okay, if Drone Dude had fallen from, you know, another story or fallen on their neck. Yes, then I'm not even sharing the video. I'm just going like, oh my God. Yeah, like that's, and that's my point. It's like, okay, the culpability can be a comedy factor there. But there is a point, and I would argue bear mauling, like, yes, I'm not a fan of the, like, circus performer and the bear being put in this situation, especially cause that bear is probably getting put down. But a man was mauled by a bear. Sure. And, and admittedly, like I do, I, as I'm speaking, I do have to point out, I have sat for 10 minutes and laughed at gifs of Nazis getting punched. Oh, well, yeah, they're Nazis. So. What I'm hearing is there is a two-variable, four-quadrant scatter plot between culpability and gore, and right in the middle is this thing that we both could agree is hilarious and enjoyable, and also Nazis getting fucked up is dead in the middle as, like, a bonus. It's the bonus square in bingo. Somebody who is good at either Excel or other graphing <laughs> things. Like, someone make the... Chris... Uh, I feel like you would be good at this. Maybe you're not. I don't know. I don't know what your Excel skills are, but someone who's good at Excel, make this scatter plot. Perfect. And then send it in and we'll post it on Twitter. Welcome to Love-Hate Relationship. Thank you for joining us on this. Uh, for us, it's a Saturday morning. For you, it's whenever you're listening to this. That's right. And uh, after we talk for a little bit about whatever we want to talk about. Um, bear mollings. Bear mollings in this case. We go into our normal segment where one of us talks about something we love, the other one talks about something we hate, and then we take yours and the internet's relationship questions. That's right. And Andy, this time you have the love, and I'm intrigued by this one. I do have the love, and I, I'm also like, it's been a while since we've done one necessarily as vague, I feel like, is what I'm about to talk about. But my love today is the theme restaurant. Okay. It's been a while since we've had a culinary-based love of any kind. I'm I'm intrigued. And and so just as a start, you know, we both live in North Carolina now, but we both grew up in Florida, so I, I figured like you would have an answer for this. Orlando, Florida is probably the mecca of theme restaurants, and I want to ask, doesn't have to be in Orlando, but what is the most outrageously over-the-top restaurant you have ever been to? Um, so I gotta say, I feel like growing up in Orlando does kind of skew this in a big bad way, because not only do you have, like, the entirety of Disney and Universal Studios to fuck with. Right. Because I feel like that entire vibe just gives you this realm of bullshit to work with, um... But also, I think about International Drive. Mm -hmm. Like, do, I think it was closed by the time you moved to Orlando, but do you remember Ponderosa? I have never been to Ponderosa. Ponderosa, and, and you know, my sister may be able to corroborate this better because it was one of her favorite places. But it was basically like a Mexican restaurant. But if I remember correctly, there were waiters who would walk around in fucking sombreros. 
fucking white waiters who would walk around in fucking sombreros mm. and you know they served the fajitas and pronounced everything a certain way and there'd be fucking mariachis there and it was it was kind of over the top it was Casa Bonita but like on International Drive sure okay and maybe I'm remembering this wrong because I'm pretty sure it got closed down for like bug infestations when I was still in middle school but okay so your your answer for what it's worth is Ponderosa, formerly did, of Orlando. Did you Google Ponderosa? No, I Googled Casabonita waiters because I, I can't remember if they wore outrageously stereotypical outfits or not. Uh, yeah. Okay, what's your answer then? Um, outrageously over the top to me, and, and we're going to wind up talking about the theme parks and we're going to talk about iDrive. I, I do think Orlando is like the place where this happens um but the most like outrageous one i can think of is probably the sci-fi drive-in at mgm hollywood studios Hmm. because it is this giant restaurant and the tables are these little um, little car booths that look like they're old 50s Oldsmobiles mm-hmm. and you order in by talking on a little car phone Jesus. and there's a giant screen on one wall that is just playing 50 B-movie sci-fi trailers on a loop and it's delightful and it is so like high concept aesthetic you know what I might change my answer to the Hard Rock Cafe which is like C- minus food but you can eat it like next to fucking alice cooper's jacket sure and and i'm here for that bullshit and the joy in your voice right now is why like this is my love because it's a kind of hard to quantifiable love but it boils down to like this is awesome and it makes me happy but i want to talk about how this this is maybe a dying thing. This is maybe a dying art form business model, but anybody born before 2004 probably has at least one fond memory of going to a theme restaurant, even if it wasn't like going down to Disney and, and doing something. Mm-hmm. But since this is such a wide and potentially varied topic, I want to narrow down specifically what I feel like a theme restaurant is. Okay. Because I might have a different take on it, but. Like, specifically, to speak professionally, a dining establishment that creates a presentation and experience where the restaurant itself is memorable in its decor, aesthetic, presentation. Mm -hmm. And so a theme restaurant is elevated over, like, a regular one by committing to giving you an experience over necessarily a fine meal. You brought up the point with uh, Hard Rock serving C-minus food, but the uh, experience is awesome. Yeah, if you're into that sort of thing. If you're into that sort of thing. And, like, at the same time, I want I really want to highlight, to me, a theme restaurant is a place where the restaurant is the thing on theme. So I split hairs over whether or not dinner theater necessarily counts. Hmm. And I really go back and forth on this, but what's your take? So, I feel like a dinner... Th- hmm. So, I think about, like, the dinner and a show type of vibe. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I would... Pro- I, I lean more towards the lump that in 
on the like theme restaurant side. Like I've been to medieval times. Right. And seen the fucking like jousting and all of that and, you know, ate a fucking turkey leg and had my sprite in a goblet like and I would that's the thing I would argue medieval times necessarily does not count as a theme restaurant because it's a larger experience because the restaurant component is we're sitting you in a like giant arena table and you're going to watch this jousting thing yeah. you're going to watch this show and we've got a, a medieval-themed gift shop stapled into the lobby. So not to step into the notes you put here, but the ones you kind of list as examples of this mm. are Medieval Times, Pirate's Voyage Dinner Show, and places like Chuck E. Cheese. Yes. And I hear that and I go, yes, because Chuck E. Cheese is basically a birthday party venue with shitty pizza. The theme is we've got an arcade yeah. and a jungle gym and we happen to serve pizza. I think I've talked on this show before about how I, I didn't go to Chuck E. Cheese much as a kid. I went to like, I, there were birthday parties I went to at Discovery Zone. Ah, sure. And the difference between Discovery Zone and Chuck E. Cheese is that Chuck E. Cheese was like, okay, we have a bunch of arcade games. Mm -hmm. Discovery Zone had fewer arcade games, but had like fucking ball pits and climbable jungle gyms right. and like a laser tag kind of area where you weren't playing laser tag against each other, but they had like a men in black laser tag experience and a Godzilla laser tag experience where right. you were like shooting the monsters and discovery zone was fucking dope, but I never would have called discovery zone a restaurant discovery zone was more in line with like, I went to, okay. Um, before I left Orlando, I got a Groupon to go to a trampoline place. Right. And it was like, okay, you pay like 40% off, you get two hours at this trampoline place. And the trampoline place was pretty cool. It had like different trampoline arenas. There was a spot where people could set up like trampoline dodgeball games. You could do flips and all this stuff. And that trampoline place had a like pizza, hot dogs, soda, pretzel stand place. Right. I am not going to call the trampoline place a restaurant. I could get food there, but it was not a restaurant. Okay, here's here's the thing that I'm going to ask you. This wasn't in my notes. This is completely off the top of my head, but I think this will answer specifically the Chuck E. Cheese question. Is Dave & Buster's a theme restaurant? I don't think so. Because Dave & Buster's is Chuck E. Cheese for adults. Okay, I don't think so. I think the... Th I think the Okay, this is the question that it raises for me. Think about, like, a 50s diner kind of place. Right. Um, let Like, Steak and Shake, I don't think, is a theme restaurant. No. Five and Diner, which Five is... and Diner, which is an Orlando staple, might be. And Five and Diner, for those of you who don't know, Five and Diner was a place that was, like, basically designed as a 50s diner. Like, it had the little, like... Um, jukebox things at your table where you could stick in a quarter and play like Long Tall Sally or something like that. Right, and the wait staff was wearing poodle skirts and like the waiter equivalent of poodle skirts. Yeah. Now, for some reason in my brain, for it to be a theme restaurant, I am expecting A, the wait staff to be costumed in some way. Sure. 
Which is why you don't have, which is why like Red Lobster is not a theme restaurant. It's a seafood restaurant. Sure. But also I, there's a part of me that wants to say like a themed restaurant should have the wait staff also in some kind of character. But I don't think I've ever actually seen that borne out. I think that's a, I think that's shit I've seen in movies. Right. Cause like. To go back to medieval times and pirates, like, yeah, the, the waitstaff is wearing a very, like, basic version of whatever they're supposed to be wearing to be on theme, and they're handing out your roast chicken and potato dinners, but it's just, like, very much like, here you are, my lord. Army hearty, have some chicken. Like, they don't give a shit. This, yeah. is their, this is their shitty job that they're doing until they get discovered. Yeah, basically. Um... Rainforest Cafe, which we're going to talk a little bit about, I think is absolutely a theme restaurant. And the waiter, the waitstaff there isn't like... They're not in costume. They're, 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 not, they're not doing anything like that. No, that would be horribly offensive. No. No matter but, which way you took it. I mean, I think their, their uniforms are like, if I remember, they're like polo shirts with different animals on them. Yeah. Which, you know, that's cool. So I would agree with costume. I, I, I can take or leave... Um, the acting, because there's another thing. There's like this place in Vegas called the Heart Attack Diner, the, where the the, the Heart Attack Diner, and the whole point is like they will give you the most absolutely. Oh, I'm sorry, the Heart Attack Grill, um, in downtown Las Vegas, and the whole thing with the Heart Attack Grill is you have to sign a safety waiver to even eat there, and they'll give you like they have something called the Octuple Bypass Hamburger. And, like, the thing I know about Heart Attack Grill is, like, the waitresses who are these Vegas, you know, women of the night types will be walking around in slutty nurse costumes and, like, neg you for eating all this food and, like, give you a cocktail and a syringe and shit. They're in character. What What white nonsense is this? Vegas white nonsense. Oh my god. Please continue. Um, but yeah, so like I, I draw a very kind of arbitrary distinction where like I wonder if Medieval Times and Pirate Voyage Dinner Show count. I think Chuck E. Cheese absolutely does not count. I think I have your line here. So Medieval Times, you you go there for the show. Yes. There is a difference between being at a restaurant for the show and being at the restaurant for the atmosphere. Absolutely. You don't go to Red Lobster for the atmosphere. You don't go to Steak and Shake for the atmosphere. But you might go to Five and Diner or you might go to Hard Rock Cafe for the atmosphere. Absolutely. That is exactly the line I am I am walking on here. And, and to pull out the last big one from iDrive that's not Arabian Nights, um, there's a place called Capone's, which I don't know if you'd ever been to. Capone's is dinner theater and like a show. The whole deal is it is like a Al Capone mobster themed, you know, experience restaurant, but the waitstaff is in character. They're all running around pretending they're mobster types as they take your order and shit. Mm-hmm. You're in this giant, you know, stage venue that is covered in gangster paraphernalia. And like, yes, there is a show going on, but it is the same show every time. It is basically a, a musical that happens while you're eating mm-hmm. with some audience participation. And that is the one 
where I will go, this match is none of my metrics, and yet that is absolutely a theme restaurant. Hmm. What about Hamburger Mary's? So Hamburger Mary's, I wouldn't have said counted. Hamburger Mary's, for all of y'all who don't know, is uh, a downtown Orlando restaurant. Sorry for how Orlando-centric it is. We just have a lot of examples. Well, and again, Orlando is like... There's a fucking million of these, but yeah. go on. But Hamburger Mary's, the the kitsch is, it is a hamburger joint. And not like a divey hamburger joint. Like, it is still kind of a elevated downtown Orlando-y kind of experience. But all the wait staff are drag queens. Oh, look. Here comes our waitress now. Wow. Good morning, bitches. <laughs> the good Lord named me Tawny Pockets, and I'll be your server ass. <laughs> Right, which, here's my thing with that. I feel like it's fucked up to say we're a theme restaurant and our theme restaurant is we're gay. Yes. We're doing drag. Yes. And I get it. <laughs> you know what? Fair. Like, I... like, because that's the thing. Hamburger Mary's, like, if you're not going to go to Parliament House for the drag show... You might go to Hamburger Mary's for your more, like, Hamburger Mary's is your grandma's drag show. Right. Parliament House, like, if you want to and you're good looking enough, you could hook up with the people who are performing there. Indeed. You know what? That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, 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 so, so if you look up theme restaurant on Wikipedia, Hamburger Mary's specifically shows up. And they say, like, yeah, the whole thing is... It's a gay-themed chain restaurant, which I go back and forth. It's like, that is so fucked up that that is, like, what you're considering. But if we're going to compare that to, like, Rainforest Cafe or... Where does... Okay. I know we're getting into the weeds here, but this is a fascinating conversation. Where do you put a, like, a spot like a tilted kilt in there? Which Tilted Kilt is a restaurant, like right. the whole the whole kitchen is that all the wait staff are wearing very tiny, um, very tiny like plaid kilt skirts and are showing a ton of cleavage. And it's not a strip club. They actually have okay food there and a really good bar, but like, and, and, I don't. Are you going to Tilted Kilt for the atmosphere? See, here's the yeah, and so Tilted Kilt, Hooters, Twin Peaks. Um, there's another wing joint where the whole thing is everyone's wearing spandex leotards. I don't think when the theme is tits and ass, there are bikini barista coffee shops. Yeah, I don't think those count. That is something <laughs> different. This is. Because in a way, you are going for the show, and the show is women. Okay, whoever's doing our Excel spreadsheet on videos, I want to see an Excel spreadsheet of just, like, what all of these things, where they fall on theme restaurants versus weird exceptions to theme restaurants. Well, and okay, okay here's my thing, and, and I know you specifically have a fucking counterexample to this, but here's my thing. My love for theme restaurants is deeply baked in nostalgia okay. and like family experience and atmosphere. So my idea for restaurants is that's not necessarily a fun for the whole family venue. This is a counter example that my sister used to take me to Hooters and sit me up at the bar while she hung out with her friends. When you were like 11 years old, yes. <laughs> uh, there were good wings. <laughs> so... 
Yes, like like I said, this is wide and varied. I kind of opened up a, a jack-in-the-box here as I'm trying to list what exactly I think of. But, okay, here's the thing, going back to my notes. It is very hard to, like, from a historical sense, nail down what is the original-themed restaurant. Because there's an argument that the concept, as we know, it came about in the 1920s as the car, the automobile, became a, like daily a thing that everyone had because all of a sudden people are driving and people are driving across state and all of a sudden your restaurant shouldn't just be a building it, it can be but like why make your restaurant just a square building when you can make your restaurant a giant hot dog or a giant boulder derby hat the brown derby which is a famous la restaurant that is now like a gift shop at universal studios that was originally like a restaurant where the thing is oh this building looks like a giant brown hat interesting so a lot of people say like that is how theme restaurants started coming around as a like extra marketing ploy as mm -hmm. you go you know what i want a hamburger from the restaurant that is shaped like a giant goddamn hamburger um the other thing that people like say is that there is a a place called don the beachcomber and that is the name of a restaurant which is a 1930s L.A. restaurant that is credited as the world's first tiki bar. And so people are saying that is the one, that is the thing that started it all, the original tiki bar where the theme is we're in L.A., but we've got Polynesian masks on the walls and these giant fruity drinks, and it's, 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 it's a tiki bar. And the proliferation of Disney theme parks and the high concept theme restaurants that came about with them. These are the things that people go like theme theme restaurants invented in, in one of these three ways. Mm. And all of those are a thing where the point is you are going to an eating venue that the shit on the walls and the way the waiters might dress and talk to you is the thing. Fucking Jimmy Hula's is a taco joint that their whole thing is they do like quote unquote Hawaiian fusion tacos and there's surfboards all over the walls. But like the wait staff is regular old wait staff and shit that is like right on the line where i don't know if i count that as a theme restaurant or not see again i would not count that because you do not go to jimmy hula's because you want a hawaiian hawaiian experience you go because they've got interesting fucking tacos you know what fair you enough. don't go i i really do think this comes down to that question of atmosphere right like you don't go to Chuck E. Cheese for the atmosphere because the atmosphere is child chaos. Indeed. You go for the you go for the games. That is a that is an arcade with a like that serves food. You don't again, I say this, you don't go to Red Lobster for the atmosphere because it's decorated in sea themes. Like, yes, that is the decor. You go there because you can get reasonably priced seafood that tastes pretty good sure. and fucking delicious biscuits. Yeah. So yes, you're, you're highlighting yeah. my point for me. Yeah. I thank but, you for that. but you do go to other, like people do go to planet Hollywood 
don't get me wrong. There's people who will go to Planet Hollywood because they're just like, oh, this will be a fun experience. This is something, you know, but you want experience. Yeah. Yeah. Because the food isn't that great. Right. I like I have eaten at a hard rock cafe, not because the food is good. The food is very, very bad. But I like but I will go. I have gone to a hard rock cafe, excused myself from the table and walked around the fucking restaurant because I want to look at Jimmy Page's guitar right. or, you know, so, or, or, you know, Chris Cornell's like a t-shirt from a, that Chris Cornell signed from an old Soundgarden tour. Like this is just stuff off the top of my head that I saw hanging on the walls of a hard rock cafe. Cause I just wanted to look at it and I'm looking over people's tables to do this. Like I'm walking around and I'm trying to be like nice. I'm not yeah. going to like, I'm not going to like bum rush somebody's somebody while they're, you know, eating a T-bone steak and just being like, I'm sorry. It's really, really important that I look at Prince's boots right here. <laughs> but like, that's the thing. It's, 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 I, I went there and I was into that experience. Nobody else fucking did that. Planet Hollywood. I've known people who've gone, who, who, uh, I have known people who know that, that Planet Hollywood is going to switch out some of their stuff and have gone there specifically because they heard that there was a certain item from a certain movie that they liked. Right. And they went and bought a whole ass meal at Planet Hollywood specifically so that they could look at like I don't like the the working the shooting script to Reservoir Dogs which was just behind glass. It's not like they could touch it. But they just wanted to go see it because they love Tarantino. Like, yeah, absolutely. You know what? I'm going to go back a second to my original question. The most over-the-top, because I don't talk about this anywhere else, the most over-the-top, wonderful theme restaurant I can think of. For a minute, for like six goddamn years in Las Vegas, there was a Star Trek-themed hotel restaurant. And the thing was, you go to the Star Trek restaurant and it, you, you walk into fucking quarks from ds9 and the waiters are dressed like klingon and ferengi and you get like the fucking phaser shake and then you walk around there is a walking museum tour of star trek paraphernalia and you see Rene abergenois odo face mask that he wore every fucking episode and you go through this show where like you're on the bridge of the enterprise which the day i went there was a fucking wedding happening on the bridge of the enterprise and they were like oh you guys can't actually go to this part of the tour and i like see somebody in a gown and i'm like oh my god make it so that is what i am talking about yeah no okay i i get that i actually do very much get that and so like the thing I love about them, if it's not clear yet, is the sense of wonder and an appreciation for camp and kish. Like, as a theater kid, I've always been about the vibes, and that is what it is for most themed restaurants. You go for the vibes. You go to the Rainforest Cafe so that, like, you get served a barbecue pizza and the lights dim and there's thunder and you hear a bunch of sounds of, like, animals hooting and hollering because it's about to rain and then you go oh i've got to go to the bathroom and you like you just said you walk around the entire goddamn restaurant so that you can see the animatronic gorilla and like the, and the howler cool, monkey and the cool aquarium fish that and are the, all over the place the real cool ass aquarium fish absolutely okay you know what i kind of get behind this um you know i 
I know this is in LA, uh, and it's funny because Disney has actually created in their like Star Wars area of their parks, they've created like the Star Wars Cantina. Um, and I've, I've never been to the Star Wars world. Maybe I will go at some point. Like they have a whole fucking Star Wars hotel now yep. where like they black out the windows so it looks like you're in space, which actually sounds kind of terrifying. But I know that in LA, because this is where um, Kevin Smith has recorded a bunch of his podcasts, there is a not Disney affiliated, but very clearly trying to do the Star Wars thing, Scum and Villainy Cantina, mm. which is a bar in LA that I want to go to. And it's, here's the thing, the Scum and Villainy Cantina, their default is basically being a legally distinct version of the Star Wars Cantina. Sure. And they have Star Wars related drinks and all of that. But also, depending on what is happening in pop culture at the moment, they will redecorate it so that it looks like, like when the Game of Thrones finale came out, they redecorated it so it looked like some scene out of Game of Thrones. Like, I guess there's a particular castle or wall chamber or something. I don't know. I don't sure. fuck, I never watched it. <laughs> um, but like when the Game of Thrones finale was airing, like for two weeks, they basically had Game of Thrones shit all over the place. When Endgame came out, they like did a bunch of Marvel-y kind of stuff all over the place. So sure. they'll regularly change it up. I want to go to this bar. Not, and honestly, I want to go to this bar because I want to see how they decorate it. I want to get a few drinks. I've heard it's actually a pretty decent bar. And I just kind of want to hang out there. Yeah. It sounds fucking fun. Absolutely. So, like, just, just to wrap up, I, I recognize that this is a slightly problematic love. You know, the idea of a quote-unquote tiki bar mm. is pretty gauche in 2022. Yeah. I actually had somebody I was talking this through with, and they brought up, like, here's the thing. A tiki restaurant that is, like, trying to appropriate Polynesian culture? Bad. Big X. No. A tiki bar that is, like, surf culture, and here's a drink in a fucking red giant tiki idol head thing. Maybe not as bad. I don't know. There's an argument there. Um, but, like, I can recall criticisms against the Rainforest Cafe profiting off a concept that as a multi-million dollar industry business, it was helping to destroy. But we have talked ad nauseum about like cherished memories and desires to experience these things. You know, I, I love the sci-fi dine-in. I love the car-shaped booth and the 50 sci-fi trailers. My brother had like three birthdays in a row at a restaurant called Howdy Duties, which was one of the most committed 50s throwback diners I've ever been to. And I liked the barbecue chicken at the Rainforest Cafe. I liked walking around and looking at the aquarium even more. It is, maybe it's year 3.5 of the pandemic. Maybe it's nostalgia. Maybe it's moving away from Orlando where there you could spit and hit a theme restaurant. But I love and appreciate this concept, the the going above and beyond, the going an extra mile to perform an experience as well as a meal. We, we didn't even talk about Casa Bonita. 
<laughs> Casa Bonita, the place made famous by South Park, which was a real restaurant in Lakeland, Colorado. That they just loved. That they just loved, and I have been to, and is amazing. And yeah, there's cliff divers, and there are mariachi bands. They're not serving you, they're playing mariachi music. But you go through, and you go through Black Pete's Lost Cavern, and it's this amazing, wonderful little just fun-ass time. What's Casa Bonita? Dude, haven't you ever been there? It's a big Mexican restaurant, but they have, like, Cliff Jumpers and Black Bart's Cave and all kinds of stuff. It's like the Disneyland of Mexican restaurants. This Saturday, awesome! Casa Bonita, Casa Bonita, food and fun and a festive atmosphere, Casa Bonita. Who said I'm inviting you? I am here for the theme restaurant. Can I give you an interpretation of this that will hopefully, like, make you feel good about it? Okay, and, and since I'll feel good about it, let's do that and then let's move on. Okay. I hear you running down all these possible reasons why this sticks out to you, and a lot of them can be interpreted as kind of sad, pandemic, nostalgia, this longing for pastime. I'm going to offer you this version. Okay. This is you embracing sincerity. Hmm. I say this as someone who really shat on a lot of theme restaurant aesthetics for a very long time because I was a cynical teenager, because I was grumpy, because nothing was ever, like, irony was always cooler than sincerity. Sure. <laughs> And, and you laugh, but this is a real, this is a thing that I still struggle with. No, like, I, I laugh because I remember meeting you in high school where you were at the peak of this. Yes, and, and, and that is a miserable way to exist. Your willingness, like, th this reminds me of my embrace of rom-coms. Mm, like, okay. is this a thing that you can be critical of? Yes, absolutely. Is it kitschy? Is it kind of lame? Is it often and frequently pretty corny? Yeah, all of that is true. But also, it makes you happy. It makes some people happy. And yeah, there's there's gonna be people who it's not the vibe of. I'm never gonna like Planet Hollywood as much as I like the Hard Rock Cafe because I'm always gonna be more into music than I am into movies. Sure. But it's fine to enjoy things and to have sincerity about it so for you this moment where you're pointing out i like theme restaurants i am fine with the food being medium to not so great i like the atmosphere i like the experience i want to go in the weird pirate cave and look at the fish in the aquarium and whatever and 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 tour around the star trek memorabilia i want to embrace that because it brings me joy and i want to be sincere about it and you embracing that sincerity is not something to be discounted i think that is a way for you to fully like embrace a mature form of joy you're right. That does make me happy. Thank you for putting in that perspective. Now, now that I'm happy, let's do something that made you upset. Let's talk about some bullshit. Okay, so Andy, for an intro here, I'm interested in asking you to do something. And I love my little dice roll intros because you never know how they're going to work out. <laughs> right. I want you to pick a social media channel. Uh, Instagram or Twitter might be the easiest, okay. but anyone you want. And I'll just ask you to look up hashtag F-I-T-S-P-O, Fitspo. Okay. And... And if you need to grow over to whatever the latest posts are, I know Twitter has like top posts, latest posts. Go to the latest posts, scroll through it, 
for a second and tell and describe to me some of the things that you see. I'm going to use Instagram for this because I care less about it affecting my Instagram algorithm because I'm never on there. You know what? That's fair. Okay. Uh, so right off the bat, I see just a million goddamn thirst traps. Um, but to go through this here, um, that's just blatant thirst trap. That's just blatant thirst trap. I'm going to scroll until it's not just a blatant thirst trap. It's a lot of like very fit, in some cases, incredibly jacked women posting gym selfies. Uh, there's one here. Everything I've endured has led me exactly to where I am today, and I wouldn't change a single thing. Train with me. Link in bio. Hashtag personal trainer. Hashtag wellness. Hashtag fit addict. Hashtag fitness motivation. Hashtag fitspo. Hashtag fit life. I keep saying hashtag. Hashtag. Um, more thirst traps. A male thirst trap. Mm -hmm. a, a glorious like shoved into too tight tidy whities thirst trap there. Um, more just just it's it's just fucking thirst traps and some of them are thirst traps by people who are like clearly jacked everyone here is clearly like at the gym every day okay here's another one do the best that you can get to the results you want this is a bros bros fit reminder your fitness journey is all about how you push yourself Truthfully, you can only rely on yourself to show up. Stay consistent and work hard. Nobody else is going to do this for you. Think about where you'll be in six months' time if you put the work in now. Heart, eyes, heart. I believe you. You got this. Emoji of a jacked, like, bicep, other heart. Hashtag fitspo. Hashtag fitlife. Yeah, I, I think this gets the point across. Like, this is... There's a dude who is sitting on a weightlifting bench, but, like isn't lifting anything he's he's clearly like he's got the hugh jackman dehydrated mm -hmm. ripped ass veins he's got giant fucking pecs progress overload isn't just adding weight and then he goes into this jesus like three fucking paragraphs about programming and how important that is and like weightlifting tips and i think i'm gonna end it there but yeah like just an enormous amount of gym thirst traps and admittedly people showing how fucking jacked they are okay i appreciate that and um i'm gonna not recommend that any of you do that same search on social media <laughs> like because i think i just might have just fucked up andy's instagram <laughs> algorithm uh, i'm never on there yeah but that's it's it's fun for me um but i appreciate that and that gives us kind of uh, a nice little introduction into some of what I'm gonna talk about here. So, my hate for this episode is the entire culture behind Fitspo. Okay. And I'm gonna get into that. If that's something you're not familiar with, you're fucking lucky. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Originating as a response to the then trending and obviously problematic Thinspo movement. Okay. Fitspo is a buzzword, hashtag, and lifestyle rallying cry that began gaining popularity back in 2013. A portmanteau of fitness and inspiration, and subsequently shortened to Fitspo, which is just like two layers of annoying, um, 
Fitspo, uh, prom- the hashtag fit- Fitspo prominently features in over 72 million Instagram posts and continues to generate somewhere around 500 tweets a day as of January of 2021. And, and so Justin going through it, like it didn't come up a lot. It was mostly just thirst traps, but there was that one, which was like all about you and your progress. And you're going to be so jacked in six months, dude. Yes, basically. Fitspo culture is generally characterized with a significant focus on a constant and ever-present pursuit of fitness via daily rigorous exercise and an absolute devotion to an ideal diet. Mm. This is the rise and grind thing, the no pain, no gain thing, the it don't count unless I'm sweating and huffing thing, the no excuses thing. I did that same search while you were doing it, Andy. I didn't get quite as many thirst traps, but I did get something like, Someone just posting all progress takes place outside your comfort zone. Okay. And uh, just shit like that. It's it's what you choose to do today that truly counts kind of bullshit. So I hear this. And by the way, I just realized I was looking at the top Fitzbo post. So okay. that might have been why it was just nothing but like... Thirst traps? Thirst traps. Because top post is the most things that are interacted with, and people are going to interact with with fucking thirst traps more than anything else. Right. If I just click on the hashtag, it is it is just it is still a shit ton of thirst traps. I am recognizing some of these posts, but there is a little bit more variety and like people boxing and actually engaging in exercise. And okay, here's one of a video of a dude saying what he eats in a day, which I I hate that shit. But you you tell me that it is the it is the um, the ever-focused, rigorous, constant pursuit of, like, ideal physical self. And my mind immediately goes to Jason fucking Bateman. Jason Bateman? You mean Patrick Bateman? And my mind immediately goes to Patrick fucking Bateman. Andy, I think that's the second time that's happened on this podcast. I don't know. I think Jason Bateman could be a sociopath. Uh, I haven't seen Ozarks. Please continue. But just like I think about the opening monologue where he's doing his skincare routine and he like talks about how he does 300 push-ups a day and eats an egg white avocado omelet while wearing a chemical mask. And this sounds like that shit to me. I mean, that it, it, it kind of plays in there where he's like, I have a strict diet and a rigorous exercise routine. Like, yeah, I mean, that that ties into a lot of this. Yeah. The whole concept behind this, like, fitness inspiration thing. Some of it is marketing. A lot of it is, a lot of it is toxic masculinity. Uh, a good chunk of it is, like, the... This kind of goes back to the, like, comparison to Thinspo. And, and just to be very brief on that, because I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about that, Thinspo was something that really crept up online in the like early 2010s. And it was this really gross fetishization of being exceedingly thin. Mm, sure. And you, um, I mean, content warning for people who have um, eating disorder triggers, but um, you regularly had people who had severe eating disorders posting about how thin they were and very rightly this was called out very early on and people like thin spo has now been relegated to honestly 
some of the more darker, we don't go there kind of places of the internet. Well, and I feel like that's also when like the thigh gap became a prominent thing. And yeah. so you had a bunch of people talking about, oh, my thigh gap. And a lot of people being like, you know, that's fucking genetic, right? And that has absolutely nothing to do with your actual BMI. Yeah. Uh, well, and BMI is bullshit anyway, but um, thin, but the whole idea of thin inspiration, like that was, that was shunted off in pop culture, in culture pretty quickly. But Fitspo came up as a response to that. And the idea was, no, fit is the new skinny. Mm. Which some of you might hear that and go, yeah, that sounds so good. And that is not a good take because it is this conceit that a single version of fitness, because fitness can look a lot of different ways. Sure. But that the single version of fitness is somehow meritorious and and important to a degree that it actually really isn't, especially by the markers that they're using. And a lot of what I hate about Fitspo is it is very grossly ill-informed as to what even constitutes fitness. It's, I mean, is it better than Thinspo? Yes. But, you know, getting punched in the dick is better than getting a sledgehammer to the dick. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I mean, it, it very much seems to highlight a lot of the same kind of problems. The it, it is adopting the same problematic mentality and just edging it into the realm of cultural acceptability. This makes me think a lot about CrossFit and, and that kind of like obsessive gym culture yeah um and like just the it the no excuses thing i i assume you pulled all these quotes from like you know factualness but yeah. no excuses especially is a troubling one to me because i picture somebody fucking up their knee and getting injured and then being back in the gym a few days later and is just like, oh yeah, I'm just not gonna put any pressure on that knee. Which just sounds dangerous to me. Yeah. No, and that that is part of this. Like there a lot of it is okay, so one thing that gets thrown around in the Fitzbo side is this quote of like pain is weakness leaving the body. Oh god, I remember when that quote was like so goddamn profound and and here's the point like if you are trying to push yourself physically will you probably be uncomfortable yes and there is value in learning to do hard and difficult things i'm a weightlifter i understand this pain is weakness leaving the body no pain is a sign that you're doing something wrong. Pain is pain. Pain is fucking pain. Pain like, is your body warning you, hey, this, no, don't. Yeah, and like, okay, I have heard of, say, marathon runners who recognize that there is a certain amount of pain that comes with their training. And I go, all right, the distinction there is a certain kind of pain because there is a pain in a certain kind of discomfort. There's a pain in your lactic acid buildup. There are things you learn to be uncomfortable with and push through. 
If your ankle fucking hurts while you're running a marathon, stop running because you might do permanent damage to yourself. Right. I I worked out yesterday and I had a really heavy workout. And during that workout, I had some discomfort that I understood how to push through. This morning, I have a little bit of lower back soreness, not pain, soreness. And I go, okay, if I don't have a workout scheduled for today, but if I did, I would probably either skip it or adjust it heavily because with this soreness, I know if I push myself, I will probably hurt myself. When I go back to the gym on Monday, I will probably be fine. I have been here and I have learned to understand this, but I comprehend that pain is not weakness leaving the body. I hurt both my ankle and my neck on separate occasions in the last few months. And both times I have had to take time off anywhere between one and two weeks working out specifically because I was like, I'm not going to hurt myself. I was just about to bring that up because you had shared with me that like you hadn't been to the gym for like two weeks because your neck still hurt and it was upsetting. That one was that one was my ankle. Okay. Yeah, I fucked up my ankle walking my dog. Not even in the gym. I fucked up my ankle because I was walking my dog early in the morning when it was still dark and I like caught an angle on the side of the road and rolled my ankle really bad. And like I took the day off of work I and I didn't go to the gym for two weeks because I was like, I could I have gone to the gym and probably just done a bunch of arm stuff? Yeah. But what I did was I took two weeks off of lifting. And when I came back to lifting, I modified my program. So I wasn't doing anything like super fast. I wasn't doing any like Olympic weightlifting movements. I was squatting and pressing and doing slower, more controlled stuff. And then I brought back in my Olympic lifting. Then I jacked up my neck separately. And that was just honestly me being careless. And I took like a week off from there. And then I came back and I have since modified my stuff. But my first heavy workout since those two injuries was yesterday. I am sore right now, but I am not in, I'm not in heavy pain. Fitspo culture would generally be like, you should still be pushing through. But Fitspo culture would also probably have a problem with the fact that I only go to the gym three days a week. It is that constant obsessive, as far as Fitspo is concerned, I am grossly overweight and should really be having more of a six, seven day a week gym schedule. Hmm. And that is off the bat, that is not sustainable for my life. Sure. That would not be good for my marriage. I would probably not be able to do this podcast if I were doing that. Sure. It just, it, it is this single-minded obsessiveness with this conceit that your fitness is this marker of both your quality of your life and your quality as a human being. And that is fucked. That is severely fucked. I completely agree, you know, and, and so you kind of tie it all together. It's, it is a common symptom to many different issues placing the physical on a pedestal for any particular reason or like placing this ideal of the pursuit of the physical on a pedestal for whatever your reason yeah it's a bad idea yeah and i want to differentiate fitspo in particular from just a general bad body image that we have societally okay um 
so the fitspo notion tends to really only communicate one conceit of what fitness looks like. For women, it tends to be still pretty thin and often still extremely muscular or at the very least lean. Yeah. You saw that in those in those thirst traps you saw. Yeah. For men, it tends to be either the shredded type of muscular, that dehydrated Hugh Jackman look, as you put it, um, or the hypermuscular. There isn't much room for people with genetic variability, disabilities, or who aren't cis. Mm, sure. There's also a preoccupation with weight loss, despite that being a pretty meh reader of health and a gross value attachment given to physical stereotypes of health with no regard to either the shit that people go through, preventing them from this fitness grind, or the privileges often needed to achieve them. I think of um, Rob McElnany um, from, yeah. from Always yeah, Sunny. It's Always Sunny, who famously got like quote unquote fat because he thought it would be funny and then worked it off. Well, not only worked it off, it's part of his character that he became insanely shredded. And he got questions. He, he put this on Reddit and I think he also put it, he also did like a Q&A where he did it. But someone asked him the question, how how do you get, how did you get so shredded? Like it was, it was an absolutely, you know, it puts all of us to shame. And he said, oh no, it's, it's very, very simple. You just need to have, um, you just need to eat basically shitloads of um, like chicken breast essentially uh, and other lean proteins um, prepared, prepared um, by a personal chef and nutritionist. You need to drink absolutely no alcohol, have pretty much no carbohydrates whatsoever, uh, work out twice a day, roughly six days a week with uh, the same personal trainer who worked on Magic Mike. Um, you need to have tremendous amounts of sleep. You need to basically never see your friends or your family or have any kind of fun. Um, do that for about six to 12 months. And oh, this is really important. Have a TV studio pay for all of this. Right. That all, that's all you really need to do to get this jack. And people, you know, applauded him for this. And, you know, it's fair because he pointed out something that is really the reality behind that kind of transformation. Can somebody who did not have, did not do all of that achieve this? Yeah, probably. But they're also probably independently wealthy. They also, therefore, they don't have to do any other kind of work and they can pay for all this stuff, probably also pay for a few supplements, um, which is something no one really talks about enough. If you're going to be in for a penny, be in for a pound. I'm just saying, like, people like to talk a lot about steroids in sports, but the fact of the matter is, it is not that hard if you are not involved in any kind of professional sports, like no one's going to test you, and you can get your hands on pretty low-dose shit that, I'll be honest with you, would be fairly safe to take as long as you take it in small doses. And you can get, a, like, that is the dark secret of the modeling industry, mm. is you, you'll, you'll get people who are not fitness models, but they will take very low-dose steroids to achieve a lot of those body types. Yeah. Because it's not hard to get, it's not terribly expensive, the long-term effects aren't bad as long as you take it in a low dose. And if you aren't trying to get on a bodybuilder stage, you can manage that pretty well. 
But no one's going to talk about that. No one's going to put that into these Fitspo posts. The other side of the Fitspo thing is the marketing. You, one of the ones that you called out there was someone marketing their train with me plan. There are people making money off of this. Totally. And it does not work. I want you to Google. Uh, this one I will ask you to Google, Andy, and I will ask our audience to Google. Okay. Um, I want you to Google a person. Her name is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, last name Robles, R-O-B-L-E-S. Okay. And I want you to describe the first few photos you see of this person. Sarah Robles is what many would probably very narrow-mindedly call a large, potentially heavy-set looking woman. She is built like a barrel. She, in her, like, Team USA leotard, has a profound stomach area, is just the most, like, simple way I think I can put that. But also in her pictures, she's lifting like 300 fucking, like a thousand fucking pounds. I don't know. How much is that? <laughs> uh, let's see. That is 115, 120, 130, that is 135 kilos, uh, which comes out to... I'm still very bad at my kilos. Um, 135 times. Giant fucking weights is what I'll say. <laughs> yes. Uh, that is her lifting just shy of 300 pounds. Okay. So I, I was right on my first guess before yeah. I grossly shot up. Yeah. So that is Sarah Robles. She is uh, an Olympian. She is a uh, super heavyweight class Olympic weightlifter and probably uh, the best American weightlifter of any category okay. currently lifting right now. Uh, she's one of my favorite weightlifters. And there is some, I, I know I've talked about this in the past, there is a point with professional athletes where they do push their bodies in into unhealthy capacities for the sake of their sport and for the sake of their performance. There are people who will look at Sarah Robles and say she is unhealthy because she is quite large. Mm. Sarah Robles is has been very upfront about what her, not only about her lifting, but about what her health looks like because she gets a lot of hate comments online and is very good at laughing them off. Mm. But Sarah Robles is actually incredibly healthy She's one of the, she has had a career that has not really been marred by much in the way of injury, which cannot be said for most of the American weightlifting team or really most Olympians. She is, this is, and you can look at photos of her from when she was significantly younger, even before she was a weightlifter. She competed in shot put before. She has always kind of looked like this. This is her natural body. And she is perfectly healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Health looks so many different ways. 
it is not just that one fitspo, fairly thin, hypermuscular vision of things. All anyone really needs for exercise is uh, like the 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 medical recommendation is around 150 minutes a week of moderate exercise of some kind that could just be you know brisk walks or some light resistance training or 75 minutes of vigorous exercise heavier walking or heavier lifting running that sort of thing what you do does not super matter you can do yoga if you don't if you don't like lifting weights or doing cardio you can do other forms of cardio you can row you can do just body weight exercises you can do just weightlifting exercises you can do whatever the fuck you want hit those markers and eat okay you will probably be fine genetics do play a part in that but that is all you really fucking need and the entire point with fitspo is it keeps bringing us back to this idea that as human beings there's an ideal we should be attack we should be attempting to achieve and anything shy of that ideal is a personal failure it's launched through a social media campaign an insistent social media campaign that hides the things that allow these people to have bodies like this whether that is economic privilege whether that is drugs whether that is frankly manipulating how you take a photo because i know you've done fo you've done photography and video and lighting alone is yeah. a huge difference yeah absolutely and is this a larger issue in in culture in general yes but here is one very specific piece of this where if, I, I ask all of you, if you see any, if you come across any postings in, so, in your social media, if you see anyone referencing Fitspo, please do not engage with it. And if you see someone you know trying to engage with this, please talk to them because is it possible that that person is going to wreck themselves psychologically or physically? You know, it, it's possible. It's not, there's no guarantee it will happen, but this is a culture that I want to call out specifically as damaging, as problematic, just because it isn't thinspo mm. does not mean that it is pushing a form of fitness that is any less, that, that, that is any more valid than overt thinness is. What you really, really want, what, what, what the real thing to go for here is to just honestly embrace what a body looks like on an individual level and then just hit your markers hit what needs to happen with that eating intuitive eating exercise that's within the parameters i just detailed and just being okay with yourself if you can have blood work done on a regular basis <laughs> like okay maybe some of us should eat less salt andy me yeah i was about to say alex yeah both of us we should eat less salt but like other than that, other than what you come up with, with your medical doctors, your basic intuition, and just reasonable expectations of yourself and others, it's fine, y'all. We were not more healthy before. If, if anyone tells you, oh, we are the least healthy we have ever been, tell them to shut the fuck up, because it was not that long ago that people were dying at 40. 
Fair enough. So that's my hate. It's long and meandering, but that's what I got for you. You want to move over to our question? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that was long or meandering at all, but let's go ahead and move on. So I think you read the format, so I, I will read this question, and we have another I Am I the Asshole. Indeed. And this one's interesting. I, I'm kind of curious to see where we'll land on this one. Yeah. Am I the asshole because I use my lacrosse skills for evil? My wife says that I'm being a huge asshole. I like to keep my front lawn very neat and tidy. I'm not OCD about it, but let's just say if I lived in an HOA, uh, I would not ever be warned about my lawn. Okay, Hank Hill. You know what? Um, I, think I, have, I think we've used Hank Hill. I don't think we have, but we've used Nancy Hicks. Um, I have one neighbor who's let her dog crap on my lawn. This isn't an issue. It's what dogs do. Other dog walkers also let their dogs do their business and promptly pick it up and walk a couple of houses down to the bus stop and put it in the trash or take it somewhere else if they are walking the other way. This one neighbor, however, doesn't pick it up unless someone is watching her. Well, I have a doorbell camera and I can see from my office when this happens. For the last two weeks, I have been using my old lacrosse skills and a homemade poop flinger to return her property. <laughs> I may have gotten enthusiastic and it didn't always land on her lawn. Sometimes the house, sometimes her sidewalk, one time the roof. As stated, my wife thinks I'm being a jerk. Am I the asshole? Okay. And so we need a name. I think you were proffering Hank Hill. I mean, that's my thinking, but do you have counter thoughts? My thing is Hank Hill would probably just clean up the poop and like grumble about it to himself and then get into a contrived argument with the neighbor. I was going to say, he would like knock on their door and just be like, do you understand what the rules of this community are? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, my brain went the lacrosse route and I was trying to think of who the most famous lacrosse players in media are. Isn't it just like Oz from American Pie? I mean, kind of, yeah. Okay, so I did have one other thought. Okay. Because I know this is a minor plot point in the movie, but what was Jim Carrey's character's name in Me, Myself, and Irene? Hank Evans. So it's still a Hank. <laughs> I've not seen Me, Myself, and Irene in forever, but what's the plot point? Like, the plot point is um, before he goes uh, by the way, Me, Myself, and Irene, a Jim Carrey vehicle in which he plays uh, two characters embodying in the same body, a man with a split personality, which is not how that uh, syndrome actually works. But um, the plot point is that he has a neighbor who regularly has his dog shit on his lawn and when he goes crazy and becomes Hank, um, oh, that's right, because he, he, the nice character is Charlie and the horrible character is Hank. When he becomes Hank, he literally, like, takes his newspaper and shits on that neighbor's lawn himself. Oh, well then, okay, yeah, let's go with Hank Evans. Okay, so we have, oh my god, we have Hank, ha Hank Evans, the, um, I guess, wife character would be... Irene. Irene, and I'm trying to see if I can find the neighbor... Who played the neighbor? Neighbor Ed. Ed is the neighbor. So we have Hank. We have 
Ed, and Irene is calling Hank an asshole. Okay. All right. Hey, ringworm. Yeah, I'm talking to you, you toxic waste of life. You gonna pick up that butt? Or do I have to glue it to the end of my shoe and stick it in your big fat pimply? I read. Would you like to take this? Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and start. I mean, God, I... So here's the thing, Hank. I don't think you're being an asshole until there is a third victim. Until there... Or a second victim, rather. I have stepped in too much dog shit just walking around my apartment complex. And that is a... a moment ruiner when all of a sudden your foot slides and it's not supposed to and you realize oh this is just in there now and i'm gonna have to clean my shoes out with a knife and then wash the knife four times like stepping in dog crap is an infuriating experience and i am not a homeowner homeowner i cannot speak to that component of it but I would imagine it is very infuriating for one particular person to selfishly just leave their dog's business in your lawn. That is not necessarily a cute lawn ornament. That is not necessarily something that raises the property value if you care about such a thing. Mm -hmm. And so, like, yeah, I mean... I suppose the thing you could do would be Hank Hill and you grab a bag and you bag it up yourself and you deposit it on their front stoop and say like you give them a what for about like social contracts and whatnot. But this seems a more creative solution to me. This seems a way that is really going to get the point across. Now, there is danger here. I think if you fling a dog turd at somebody's house at let's say 40 miles an hour and it splatters against their wall that's hilarious <laughs> to go back to our original point that is fucking funny to me if you do it with enough force to break their window then you are at risk of you know some sort of property damage claim yourself here and he mentions being pretty overzealous. I don't know quite the trajectory here, but the second this hits someone else's house, then you have a problem. Then you're being the asshole unless you then go clean it up. But that is such a uniquely embarrassing situation. Oh, hey, Todd. Yeah, no, I was, I was trying to throw this dog shit at Ed's house because it's from Ed's dog, but I hit your front door, so that's why I'm cleaning it for you. Mm. Nobody wants that situation to be happening. Mm. So are you the asshole, Hank? I'm going to say no, but watch yourself. Interesting. Hmm. So here is my perspective on this. I agree with you that this is satisfying. I think that it is creative and very fun and probably something that I might do. <laughs> um, there is a trickiness here. Yeah. Because your neighbor is doing what, depending on your municipality, is what, what your municipality's individual... Um, code structure is might be a ticketable offense and you are doing something that 
could honestly, again, depending on those codes, get you arrested for property damage. Sure. You are doing the greater crime, yeah. legally speaking. Now, laws are suggestions created by people with power. Um, <laughs> so it... Uh, and I get where your wife is coming from here because this is a very immature way to handle this situation. Sure. Um, there is a part of me that's kind of like, is there a more passive aggressive way that we can do this? Because I don't want, the thing I, the thing I want to avoid is snitching. Mm. You don't have a homeowners association to snitch to. It, you know, is there a world where you take your doorbell cam footage because it does exist and you just submit that to your local police department and be like, hey, can you ticket this person for the shitting on my lawn? I, there might be one very peaceful solution, which is just knocking on your neighbor's door and saying, hey, I know you don't pick up the dog shit if you think no one's watching. I have a doorbell cam. I see you. I have seen you do this. I am watching. Stop doing it. Sure. Like, that could be the peaceful solution. The more I think about it, the more I think about how what I would do is deposit it in a bag on their step with a note like, hey, this is yours as many times as necessary. But go on. See, my attitude is more like, uh, okay, bag it up collect it until there's a concerning amount of it and then put like a small stack of it right in front of their door with a note that says hey these are yours that's great but then you you hank are dealing with a literal pile of shit for however long that is yes and if you leave it out in the sun bagged up it'll be even worse when they step on it that is my brain <laughs> We might not, and this is what this is where our true lack of qualifications really shines through. Uh -huh. Are you the asshole, Hank? Kinda. Like again, is it? It's a it's a very immature way to handle this. The mature way to handle this would be to go and have a conversation with your neighbor and be like, "Hey, please don't do that. I know it's you. I have the doorbell cam. I can see you. Just please don't do that anymore." Um. That might not work because Ed is an asshole. You can have two assholes. Indeed. If that does not work, my attitude is don't risk property damage because, again, Andy's right. You could catch a claim on this. Uh, if you break a window, the fact that it is on the roof is entertaining as hell. But, yeah, the point is, if this if this got put in a small claims court, like, honestly, if they sued you for property damage, there isn't a judge in the world that would not side with your neighbor. Sure. And I'll, I'll, my final word on this will be pointing out, if a third neighbor is just walking their own dog and sees you, a man with a lacrosse racket firing feces at somebody's house, they probably are not thinking that this is a nuanced enough situation where you are merely returning the property, as it were. <laughs> the property. So the optics in no way, shape, or form favor Hank in this. Yeah. And, and I would probably just say, Hank, you're kind of an asshole, but you're being an asshole to an asshole. Uh -huh. That is my take. 
I would say stop using your lacrosse skills. Try your communication skills. The advice here is try and talk to your neighbor because you don't say at any point that you have done that. You just say that you have, for the last two weeks, been lacrossing it over. But let your neighbor know, hey, I can see you. Give them a chance to rectify that, rectify that. Um, and if they do not, then find less property destructive ways, but hopefully um, effective ways to handle this. Mm -hmm. As far as your wife is concerned, um, I might make a recommendation. Ask her what she thinks should be done. Oh, there's a good idea. Yeah. Just be like, okay, I'm going to talk to her or, or I'm going to I'm going to go talk to Ed. Uh, and if Ed continues to do it, if Ed does it even one more time after y'all talk, um, go to your wife and say, all right, I know you don't want me to lacrosse this. Ed is being an asshole. Mm -hmm. I have tried to talk to Ed. How would you like to handle this at this point? And if your wife says something like, just pick it up, it's not that big a deal. At that point, you can have a conversation about what your lawn means to you and how this is important to you and how you really need this handled, but you do not want to offend her. So you really need her input if she's going to have a reaction to it. That's just good communication skills. There you go. And it took us a minute, but we got to probably the most mature, effective, and optically good answer for Hank is consult your wife. And if that doesn't work, put it in the mailbox. <laughs> there you go. And that has been Love, Hate, Relationship, dear listeners. If you have a relationship question, whether it be with a neighbor or a wife or a pet, there is animal shit involved in this question, so I count it as involving a pet. If you have any of those questions and you want our perfectly unqualified advice, you can tell we, we're nuanced and we might be assholes ourselves, but eventually we get to something mature. Um, you can send those relationship questions in to lovehaterelationshippodcast at gmail.com when we promise we'll read them. That's right. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even TuneIn Radio. Hey, Mom. Uh, you can also rate and or review us on any and or all of those platforms. Uh, and I guess, like, leave us a nice review. We're told that it helps people find the show. And it would make us happy. Indeed. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at LHRPod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D. And subscribe to us. Oh, subscribe to us there. Follow us there. Um, see the shit that we're tweeting about. And we, we like to tweet about old topics, like, constantly. And, uh, yeah, you can also DM us your questions there. We will happily take them, even if you, there's someone else's questions that you just want to send over to us. That's right. Absolutely. Um, we talked about Planet Hollywood today, and I'm sure Planet Hollywood has a bunch of memorabilia from old cult films. Maybe the same cult films that I'm watching on my other podcast with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson. That is cult fiction, and you can find it everywhere that you can find this show. You can also follow me, Andy Boel, at jovocop2113 on Twitter, or Andy's underscore minis if you want to see what Warhammer model stuff I'm painting at any given moment. Right now it's a bunch of tree people. Tree people. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, LieChess, and Chess.com at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z. I finally uh, broke a thousand. 
uh, rating on my rapid chess on chess.com, which means I am almost an intermediate. <laughs> uh, it's a grind. Thanks for listening, y'all. As ever, please tell your enemies. Mm-hmm.